You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm, one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible, known by millions and millions of people. And uh, we've been diving into it and looking through it um, throughout the summer. And uh, today we want to take a look at a message entitled The Banquet, coming out of the verse in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, Being the pastor of a church that's filled with young adults, one of the uh, great blessings that comes along with that is uh, Sue and I get to um, go to a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. Um, in the last two and a half years, over 30 weddings, and, uh, which means I get to go to a lot of banquets as well. And uh, um, they're really neat to be a part of, and you get to go and do things and eat things that you wouldn't normally eat and things that are prepared in ways that you would never prepare it. And, uh, and so it's, it's just kind of cool. And uh, you get to be there, and you get to see all of the work that's gone into the decorations and all the thought to themes and all the preparation that's gone on, and, and people are all dressed up and... and um, And then you get to sit and some people have thought through very carefully what should be said and how it will be said. And it's just kind of cool to be at a banquet. Um, But in our text today, it says that the Lord prepares a table for us. And so for all of you whose weddings I've been to in the last two and a half years, I'm pretty sure your thing was lame compared to what the Lord can do. Um, Because he prepares a table for us. He prepares a banquet for us. He has a feast for us in our walk with him that uh, no one can explain and no one could ever measure up to because uh, that's what the Lord does, God himself. And it comes right out of our psalm, Psalm 23. So you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand together as uh, I read God's word. We want to honor the Lord as we read his word. Listen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. Yes, it was a psalm that David wrote as he considered your goodness to him, as he looked back and he remembered so many things, but it's not just a little poem, it's not just a little song, it is, it is your word And you've given it, you gave it to him so that he could write it down. You've given it to us so that we could learn and be instructed in it. And Lord, as we take a look at this verse today, you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Lord, I pray that there would be great rejoicing in our hearts to realize the relationship we have with you and the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. So Lord, take your word today, use it for your fame, use it for your glory. Do in this place what only you can do through the power of your word We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. 
Well, you come to Psalm 23 and verse 5, and it seems to me that there's a a bit of a change that happens here. Um, Up until the end of verse 4, David, as he's remembering and looking back, it's it's all kind of coming through the eyes of a shepherd and the sheep. Um, You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You, You lead me in paths of righteousness, for your name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But, but now he comes to a, a, a change in the text. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so he's talking about a banquet and he's, and he's talking about anointing and he's talking about a cup that's filled. And, and then he finishes it with the great crescendo and the house of the Lord forever. And uh, so it seems like David is moving away from the theme of the shepherd and, and remembering now more about what it meant to be like a king and to see how the king could serve and, and then taking all that and applying it to what God does and ending up in the house of the Lord forever. And the cool thing for me in this verse is that there's nothing his enemies could do about it. Nothing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, my enemies. So we want to dive right in. Three things I want us to take a look at as we consider this banquet and, and this verse is the first one are the partakers. The partakers. You prepare a table before me. Before me. And uh, so who is this for? As David, as David writes this and as, as, as we consider what he was saying, who are those who get to sit at the table? Who are those that this table is set for? Well, I think the answer is all the way through the first part of the text. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. All of these things that the the Lord has done, we've, we've been taking a look at all of that and the people who get to partake at this banquet are people who are in relationship with God. People who have a personal relationship with God. Now David was looking at that uh, through eyes of faith, understanding that a Messiah would come and, and Jesus would come and, and be the Savior. Uh, he didn't understand all the things we understand. We have the whole book. We know the rest of the story. We understand that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. But David didn't understand all of those things. He was looking forward to what God would do. But uh, just as a bit of a review to make sure you understand he was in relationship. And if you're visiting today, you haven't had the privilege to uh, see us go through the first four verses. Um, And as I've said before, one of my fears of taking a psalm like this apart is that you, you lose the whole as you dive into the parts. And so quickly, let's review the Lord. The Lord, not our Lord, not one God of many gods, the Lord. The Lord, the one who's the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is the sustainer of all of it, the one who made the heaven, the one who says, in the beginning, God created. The Lord, the one who gives you your next breath, the one who offered to you salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord. 
The Lord is my shepherd. For David, that was a very personal thing. He understood what that meant. He had been a shepherd. And, but the Lord is his shepherd. The Lord is the one who is guiding him. The Lord is the one who is helping him. The Lord is the one who is encouraging him. The Lord is my shepherd. My question for you this morning is, is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want what? I shall not want another shepherd. When the Lord is your shepherd, you don't want another shepherd. And God, help us all to learn to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And more and more every day focused on him because why? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want another shepherd. And hey, it's 2014 and we live in Canada where we have so many things just poured out on us. I shall not want another shepherd and I shall not want what another shepherd offers. And we have so much that's just abundance poured out on us that we take and and we want them and we say, I have to have these things. And uh, Sue and I tease each other when we use the word need. I need. I need. Yeah, no. And, and, and it's, it's like there's a, another shepherd and we want the things that the other shepherd that the world offers to us. And we battle against that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't want another shepherd. I don't know what, want what another shepherd offers to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We talked about the reality of a shepherd having to go in and, and making sure there was a place where the sheep would be fed and taken care of and filling in the ruts and tearing out the stumps so that no tragedy could happen to the sheep and we also talked about the fact that says he makes me lie down. Sheep don't like to lay down. And uh, sometimes uh, we're pretty dumb sheep and the Lord has to lay us down. I talked about in that message about my ankle being broken and my, my green pasture looked an awful lot like a hospital bed for a period of time so the Lord could teach me some things. And I look back at it now and I go, my goodness, that was good what God taught me. It was a green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. Why? Because sheep aren't smart enough to only drink pure water. They'll drink anything out of any ditch, any puddle, and make themselves sick. And it's the shepherd's job to make sure there's pure and refreshing water that will restore them. And then we talked about the restoration that is ours, first of all, in salvation in Jesus Christ, but then in our walk with him and coming in repentance and being right with God. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There's only one path to God. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. One path. One path to God through Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of different paths. I'm on a different path, and Jay is on, and, and uh, Jerry's on. Now, Jay, Jason's been married for uh, seven weeks now, and so he's on a learning path. And Jerry, Jerry, he's an expert now. He's been married for so long, and he's not on the same path. And God's teaching him different things. And, and some of you in your work experience, God's got you on a path, and, and you're learning things. And he leads me in paths of righteousness, but all of them leading to righteousness. Why? Well, for our good, for our good, but more importantly, why? For his name's sake, for his glory. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my good and for his name's sake. And then there's the big kind of so what moment in the psalm, even though, and we're all gonna go through it, and he uses the biggest example he could possibly use, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the hardest thing, the most difficult thing that you can possibly face in your life, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. 
And whatever you have ahead of you, whatever the challenges are, whatever the pressures are, God's not gonna leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, and we talked about those in discipline and encouragement and help and protection there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. The table is for those who are in relationship with God. In relationship through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, you're not at the table if you're not in Christ. And so the challenge for you is, are you in Christ? Have you accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you? You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it freely as he gave his son to be the right and righteous payment for your sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, but even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. Are you in relationship with the Lord? Have you come to the place of understanding your sin separates you from God? There's nothing you can do about that. You can't fix it because God's standard isn't goodness. God's standard is no sin. And you can't get there on your own only through the finished work of Jesus Christ where he takes your sin on himself and puts his righteousness on you. And then you are in relationship with him. It's as simple as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And David is a picture of that in his desire for God. Did he do it perfectly? Did he walk perfectly? He sure didn't. He failed miserably. Uh, But God forgave him and restored him. And the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. The banquet, you prepare a table before me, is for those who are in relationship. And if we're in relationship, we've got a great hope in this passage. And if you're not, you have a great opportunity today to trust Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the first thing. And who are the partakers as those who are in Christ? Here's the second thing. It's about the preparation. The preparation. It says, you prepare a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's interesting. The way the word preparation there is a, is a military term. It's about strategy and making sure everything's in the right place, and which is kind of play on words against because of the enemies that you're up against. Um, you prepare a table before me. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Sue and I have been to lots of banquets, lots of, lots of things, and, and it's just been really cool to watch, to see the, well, for Sue, it's really cool to see the centerpieces and all the work that goes on. For me, it's like, please, just pass the chicken. Okay, I get that. But, um, but it's so ornate, and all the work that goes into it, and all the preparation that's done, and all the thoughtfulness that goes on and all that. And Sue's like, did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. But all the work that goes on and the preparation of this. But the table that's prepared for you isn't prepared by a group of people who want to do the best for their best friend. The table that's prepared for us is prepared by God himself. That's the table that we have. You prepare a table for me. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine what goes in behind that table that is set for you and that table that is set for me? That that table is made by the God who was the creator of the world. Uh, we had the privilege to be up in Muskoka for a couple of days this past week and, and to be out and see the lake and see the creation and all that God has made and all of his creation and how beautiful it is. And that's the one who is behind the, your table. You get to sit at this table and it's God who is the creator who is the one who is setting up your table. And there's no shortage of resources. God is omnipotent. He has all the power in the world. Every, everybody I know, when they're doing their wedding, they've got a budget, and they've got to work to their budget. Uh, God doesn't work on budgets. He, he's omnipotent. And so what he has for us in our table is based on his sovereignty and his goodness, and he's omnipotent. Not only does he have the power to do everything, he's got the brains to do it. He's omniscient. God, you prepare a table for me, well, what is the table? What is the table? Because it isn't banquet chicken or banquet steak. He's not talking about we're going to have dinner. It's a picture. And so what is the table that he's setting? And the scripture doesn't say clearly, but obviously David's talking about all the things that have gone on in his life and all the things that God has led him through. He's just said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's part of the table, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. You prepare a table for me. I wrote down a few things that I think the table is. I I think the table is God's will for you. It's God's will for you. What does he have in his plan for you? to serve out your days for his glory. It's, it's God's will. And God's will for you is made by a God who is the creator. He's the one who is omnipotent. He's the one who's omniscient. It's his will. I think the table that's set for you is God's direction in your life. Uh, you're not sure what to do and, and you're crying out to God and, and he will direct your path in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Because the table that God sets for you is about his will. It's about his direction for you. It's about his protection for you. I'll fear no evil for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so this table that God has prepared for you, which really is laid out in your life, it includes his will and his direction and it includes his protection for you and his plans for you and ultimately his reward, his reward. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Prepare a table for you. That's what God does. And God's ways and God's will will not be thwarted. Job 42, 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's Job towards the end of the book. After he's gone through all of the things that he's, he's gone through the valley of the shadow of death. He had people speaking into him that were giving him bad advice. And and he comes to this and he goes, God, your ways will not be thwarted. And so God sets the table for you. 
And it'll include his direction. It'll include his will. It'll include his protection. It will include all of these things that he has for you. But then notice what the verse goes on to say, in the presence of my enemies. I put this to the banquet. Let's, let's look at the presence here. In the presence of my enemies. The word enemies in scripture most often refers to those who resist you or oppose you. It can be outright enemies who want to kill you, right? Can be for sure, but, it, but it's, it's a broader word than that. The word is about people who oppose you and people who are in your face and uh, people who resist you. Um, Matthew 5 says, and when Jesus was teaching, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad when that stuff happens. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here's an interesting thing about that word. Now you understand this is God's job, not your job, but it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What God is doing in your life, what God is working you through is all done in the presence of your enemies. And the word is not just they get to sit around and watch. It's a much stronger word than that. It's like in your face, enemies, in your face. And, and God is doing this work in your life. And it's like, in your face, enemies, they have to watch. They can't stop what he's doing. Uh, they can try. They do all, we're going to talk about Satan in a minute and all the things he tries to do. But it's not just a, a pretty little, and they get to sit around on the outside and watch. It's like, no, no, no. You watch. You see. You see what I'm doing. You see what I'm doing in, in George's life. And, and you see what I'm doing Dave's life and you see what I'm doing in Sue's life and you watch and you can't stop it because I'm doing it and I'm doing it for my glory. It's going to happen. Every follower of Jesus Christ is going to have those who resist us. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. As a matter of fact, in Luke 6, 26, it goes this far. It says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you. It's like, woe. If everybody only has good things to say about you, it's because you're not being salt and light for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not ticking somebody off because of your faith, woe to you. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. We'll all have enemies. Noah did. Can you imagine? Noah's building the first uh, cruise liner and uh, 125 years of this project going on and for 125 years, people are like, loser, loser. What are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why? Well, God told me to. Why? To save the world. Loser, loser, enemies, people speaking against him. It went on and on and on. And he had his wife, he had his three sons, and he had their wives, and, and they were building a boat because God was going to destroy the earth because of man's sin. The people who resisted him in opposition, the mocking, the teasing as he built the ark. 
Moses did. Moses had the people who stood up against him, um, brings them out of Egypt. They uh, cross through and they're in the land and they're like, can't we just go back? Please, just let us go back. And they start to murmur and they start to complain and people speaking against him. David had his people who were against him. The, the Philistines were against him. They wanted to kill him and Goliath wanted him dead and Saul, the king of Israel, he wanted him dead and Absalom, his son, tried to kill him and David had all kinds of opposition as, as he sought to live out his life and as I said, he didn't do it perfectly. He messed up and if you ever wonder, can you be restored in Jesus Christ? Can you come under God's grace? You do a study of David and you see what God saved him out of and you see how God brought him to a man after God's own heart. But he faced the opposition and he faced the pressure. Paul did. It seems to me that most of his life after he came to Christ was either spent under house arrest or in prison and had people speaking against him. In Acts chapter 17, it talks about those that have turned the world upside down have come here too and and the leaders of the city were there upset about what God was doing. Jesus did. You see, there'll be opposition If you are in Christ and if you're seeking to live your life out for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, there will be opposition. Now, let me tell you, I am so thankful that we live where we live. You think about what's going on in the world today and the opposition that people face, people dying for their faith. It's happened forever. But we're seeing it because it's plastered all over the news media. They faced opposition But I said, Jesus did. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The Lord prepares a table for us, his will, his direction, his way. Ultimately, salvation and eternity. It's all laid out for us. It's all on the table in the presence of our enemies. And the chief enemy, Satan, seeking to destroy everything, he comes at us and he accuses us and who do you think you are? And he watches too what God is doing. Over in Revelation, actually take your Bibles, turn over to Revelation 12, keep your finger in Psalm 23. But in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about Satan and what he does. Revelation 12 verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, verse 8, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and 
night. So what does the enemy do? The enemy, the chief enemy, Satan, what does he do? He accuses, he accuses, and that's what your enemies do to you all of the time. And and Satan uses them and his little minions that are out there in the world. Satan's not omnipotent. Satan's not omnipresent. If he's dealing with me, he's not dealing with you. So he has his demons and they're out there and they're doing their work in our lives and they're accusing us. He's an accuser. He says things to you like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you could serve at Harvest Bible Chapel? Who do you think you are, Paul Whittingstall, that you think you're righteous enough to stand up and open the word and proclaim it to these people? He's an accuser. Well, he likes to couch so much of what he says in some truth because it's true. Who do I think I am? that I could stand here and talk like this to you. I tell you who I am. I'm one who's been saved, who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who's been made right in Christ. Satan accuses you all the time of, you can't do that. You, You sinned, God can't use you, you're on the shelf. He's an accuser, he's a liar. If David can be redeemed and restored, if Paul can be saved and restored, if I can be saved and restored, look what God can do. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. The enemy gets to sit around and watch. What God does is he sets the table for you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Vindication is shown in this text. It's like the enemies are all standing around and God walks in and he walks right by all of the enemies and he stands behind you and gives you a massage on your shoulders as it were and says, look what I've done. It's all for you. It's all here for you. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. It's all here for you. And there's vindication We're like, well, is that ours to take hold of? Is it, is it okay to be thinking like that? Is it, is it okay to look at our enemies and say, hey, 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 God's in control. I will be vindicated in all of this. Yes, it is. Three things I want you to hear about this. First of all, it's not wrong to look for vindication. It's not wrong to look for it. In 2 Thessalonians 1, a few verses here, 5 to 10, it says this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. We look forward to the day. We understand that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And that is the second point. It's not wrong to look for it is the first point. The second point is only God can bring it. It's not yours to bring It's not yours to rush out. 
We need to be so careful how hard and harsh we are with people sometimes. And, and just, you know what? Allow God to do his work in his way, in his time. In Romans 12, 19 to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, here's what we're supposed to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. In other words, you'll drive him crazy. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not wrong to look for vindication. Only God can bring it. Here's the third thing. Wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In Philippians 2, 5 to 10, it says, talking about Jesus, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Here it is. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. You wait. You just wait. God is doing his work in his time. He is setting your table. You will be vindicated in your faithfulness for him. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Joseph waited the Old Testament, for a long time, and he was vindicated. David, he waited, and he was vindicated. And, and maybe the vindication for you with that person in your workplace or that vindication for you with that family member that you're struggling with or uh, that, that vindication with you for that neighbor who's just harsh and, and you're just trying to be faithful. Lord, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful. You just keep being faithful one day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And it might not happen on this side. It might not, but it will. That's God's promise for us. It's Communion Sunday. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we're going to have communion um, in just a few minutes. But something I want you to notice about that table. So the table was set and they're all there. And who's at the table? Well, the 11 are at the table. Well, the 12 are at the table. And one of them is Judas the enemy, the enemy. He was at the table. He, he even took the cup and, and he even had the bread. Why didn't Jesus say, get out of here? I know what you're going to do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And we're so eager to get things right, and we're so eager for justice today, and we're so eager, and, and yet Jesus Christ, who is about to pay the price for your sin and my sin, the sin of all of those people sitting around the table, the sin of those who might have been in the room watching, the sin of the whole world. And the enemy sat at the table. The work of Jesus Christ would be vindicated. Vindicated. 
God's word would not be stopped. His work would not be thwarted. The enemies, they watch and they see, but they can't stop what God is doing in your life. Prepare a table before you in the presence of my enemies. Well, so what? So what? Hey, here's the great bottom line is we win. We win. In the end, we win. We win every day in Christ, but we win in glory. We win. What's coming for us is so much better. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be in Syria or in Iraq right now. But, but the reality is and the atrocities of it, how ugly it all is and what can be done, all of that, we can talk about that till the cows can come home. But the, the reality is in the end, we win. God will be vindicated. Followers of Jesus Christ will be vindicated. We win. Joshua chapter one, verse five, God is speaking to Joshua and he's a little nervous about taking the reins from Moses. He says, no man should be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We win. Well, who stands against you? Yeah, your enemies. And your enemies are probably the people you work with or could be family members or could be your neighbors and and they stand against you. But hey, who stands with you? God prepares the table. He is setting the path for you. And your enemies stand and they watch and there's nothing they can do about it. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.